We do like to celebrate fathers, just like we do like to celebrate mothers. Both roles are really important, and most of the time they go overlooked. Uh, kids don't really notice, or they just demand, don't they? Until, until Father's Day and Mother's Day, and then they tell you how much they love you. But anyway, but as a man, as a husband, and as a father, and as a pastor, the lines within society have been blurred. And it can be really difficult to understand what a real man is. What's our role? What part do we play in our children's lives? But true manhood, true manhood is Christ-likeness. Christ was the greatest example of what a man was. He was not just tough, but he was also tender. He was tender when he needed to be, and he was tough when he had to be. He had the balance of both of them. And God the Father sets the tone for us to hear and follow and be good, good fathers in our own lives. And he sent his own son to show us the way to him. Now, I know that none of us are perfect. None of us will ever be perfect fathers, of course, maybe in our children's eyes, until they get to teenagers, and then it's a different story. But I know that you are good, good fathers. I see the men. I look and I watch how you guys interact with your own kids and how you interact with other kids. You are good men. And you need to be celebrated. You need to be rewarded for those sort of things because you are good, good men, even if when you don't think you are, even when you aren't feeling like you're perfect. Jesus came down to become the greatest example of what a true manhood man was for us. And he left two legacies, two legacies that he wanted to instill in his disciples and leave behind when he departed. The greatest legacy one can leave is one that doesn't lift ourselves higher, but we instill in others. It's a true picture of love. Jesus left those two legacies that changed the course of history, changed what history was all about, and still is vital and important today. Jesus didn't leave a wife or children. He left no house. No clothes, no money, no business, no writings, no hymns, no portraits, no buildings, no cross remnant, no confirmed grave site. What he left was eternal. What he didn't leave was temporary. Jesus left his word and he left his church. What we value is what we invest our time, our talent and our treasures in. What we value, what we invest in, will actually become our legacy. What Jesus invested in became his legacy, the word and the church. Jesus instilled the value of his word in those around him in order to bring forth fruit from their lives. Jesus' word is living, it's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, which means when it's implied in you, when you actually receive it, when you actually take it on, it actually begins to dwell and manifest inside of you. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, he said, Heaven and earth will pass away, my words will not pass away. Meaning, time ticks on. People come, people go. But the word of God will live forever. The word of Christ will live forever. That is a true legacy. And when we instill it in our lives, when God implants it into our lives, it grows and develops. It becomes a legacy that goes beyond him, goes beyond his existence, and actually moves and dwells in those around him. The word has power. It was at creation. 
and it brings forth life when spoken in agreement with the author. In John 1.1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And all things came into being through him. means the word that was spoken at creation was actually Christ. It's the word that Jesus brought and wanted to be his legacy and instilled in each one of his disciples. It's the word that he spoke at each different time when he actually spoke and and directed people in all those meetings. When people were coming to him and when he was instilling the word in them, it was actually the same word that was spoken at creation. The word that has power, the word that has life-giving power is the word that Jesus instilled. And the word brings life because it begins to cut away at different things in our lives. See, when you get serious about the word of God, the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of you as you read the word and he brings up things that need to be dealt with. He brings up hurts and reminds you of different things and begins to cut away like a knife Things in your life. Because the in, you know, I put this. What God wants to do is bring you to a point where you surrender to Him, you receive the word, and the life can actually work inside of you. And He can take you on a journey from where you begin at the point of salvation to the where the point you actually enter into eternity is a process of what we call sanctification, or the Holy Spirit working inside of you, the Word of God working inside of you, bringing forth life. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It's the life that he wants to bring inside of you and bring forth out of you. The greatest legacy that we can actually have as men and women of Christ is not millions of dollars. It's not the big house. It's not the fancy cars, it's not the boats, it's not whatever else you might think it is. But it's been able to instill something in that generation that goes beyond us. It's been able to pass on what Christ gives us to the next generation. It's been able to pass in to someone else that will live beyond us. Now the second priority that Jesus had left was the foundation of his church, his ecclesia meaning to call out. Those who are part of his church have been called out of the world. We are called from the world to be part of the church. And the church is not a building, although we meet in a building. And it's nice to have a roof. And it's nice to have air conditioning. But the church is not a building, it's his people. So he calls his people out into his church. It says in Matthew 16, 18, it says, I say to you, let me just find, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The history behind this is Jesus takes his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now this is a place that good Jewish boys don't go this is a place that has been dedicated to pan worship or the goat, uh, worship to goats. And they're in this place, this is the most horrific place for a Jewish boy to be. Right? They're in this place, there's gas fires everywhere, there's demonic activity all the way. Right? And this is where the context goes in because he says, he says unto Peter, he says, Peter, upon this rock 
I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He took him into a place that was ravished with demonic activity and said, upon the rock of the revelation of Jesus Christ, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. That which you are surrounded will, will not overpower what I am building and I am developing in you. Now this is the passage of scripture that Roman Catholicism actually gets their first pope from, but that's not the context of what is actually being said. Peter... In the Greek, it means petros, which means small rock or pebble. The rock in reference to this actually is the word petra, which actually means big rock. And what Jesus was actually saying is he said, Peter, you're a small rock, a part of a big rock, and it's upon the big rock that the gates of hell will not prevail. It's when you're part of the bigger rock, the gates of hell will not prevail over you. I will give a strength upon my church that will last with ever. Now, the church is not a building, it's a people, a little rock, part of a bigger rock that will last throughout the against the times and nothing will overpower it, nothing will come against it, nothing will actually break forth it down. Jesus is actually leaving two powerful legacies of his word and his church. The word of God is like a two-edged sword. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says it's the word of It's the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God is not only a two-edged sword, it's the sword of the Spirit that gives us the ability to stand on different things, but then when you understand you're part of the church, which is a small rock, part of the bigger rock, then nothing will actually overcome you. The church is not a building. We meet in a building, but the church is the people. And Jesus came to make disciples and instilled the responsibility to us to continue on the legacy that he left, his word and his church. We are the ones who have been called out, called out of the world into the church, into being part of the big rock. Now there is another word in the Greek that we sometimes is used in the context of church. And I'm not even going to pronounce it because it's, It's a doozy. But it means dedicated to the Lord. It's often used and referred to as the temple of of God. The temple of God is dedicated to the Lord. That's another word that's used to refer to to the church of today. We are the ones being called out. We are being dedicated to the Lord. We are part of the small rock, part of the big rock, that we, the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but that gives me encouragement that the legacy that Jesus came to establish on this earth through his disciples that lived beyond him was the word and his church. Now, sometimes we can get stuck on church because we see it as a building. I've got to be going to the building and I've got to do this in the building. But you need to understand that God actually wants to establish inside of each and every one of us is bigger than a building. We are the small rock a pebble that is linked to the bigger rock. And our strength comes from the bigger rock, not just the smaller rock. Now here's a question when it comes to be, what is our legacy? Now as fathers, it's a bit of a daunting task sometimes to be a father. You're trying to lead your family through some, and sometimes it can be horrendous, difficult circumstances. You're trying to have all the answers, I can guarantee you I know the person who does. And that's where the, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit comes into play. See, it's the word of God. It's his spirit. 
and it's the church. When we allow the Spirit to work in us, connected to the Word, He brings forth change and lets us develop and lets us mature. But it's being connected to the church that actually gives us our strength. What Jesus actually left inside of us, what Jesus actually left for us is actually under attack. It's under attack like I have in my lifetime. Never seen it before. Manhood is under attack. It's, 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 absolutely, yeah, it's absolutely insanity, the rubbish that has been connected to manhood. Like we are, the message that we are being told is we are not needed. I can tell you that you look in society, that is the reason we are needed. Men, we bring stability. That's what we bring. We bring a stability like a rock like you don't believe. And I'm not, dis- I'm not putting down any females. Please understand, right? My wife has an integral part in our home. Like we would, our home would be very different if she was not there, okay? And I'm not blowing my head up. I'm not trying to grasp any more than what I should. But I do understand the vital role a man, a husband, and a father brings to the home. And if you don't believe me, you should have seen my life growing up. I grew up in a home that was broken. I grew up with just a mum. And she was, did her best job, best job she could, trying to play both roles. But she was never going to be my father. She's my mother. And when I started looking, I started looking for men to instill in me the value of manhood. Because I had no idea. I come from doing what I wanted to do, saying whatever I wanted to do. And I come into this church, I come into church, and I'm trying to work out. How on earth do I be a man? What does that mean? So I found men who were not perfect, but can instill in me the concept or the principles of how to be a man. It's, like why, it's why we like to do our men's meet meet. Right, we get around, last time there was a fire involved, right? and there was meat. I strongly encourage you to come along because it's about men. We don't even have to do anything. We can stand around the fire and everyone knows what everyone else is saying. But it's just being there and encouraging each other. We don't have to get soppy like no one brings tissues, right? We don't... It's not an emotional time. We are, we are definitely headliners, okay? That's right, we, we live the headline and our wives the fine print, Right? I asked my wife how was her day, and she asked me how her day was, eh, not bad. And we're done. But it's important that men get around men. It's important that we connect with each other. It's important that we celebrate manhood, especially in this day and age. Like, I, I have no idea where the incentive... Like, you go back 10 years ago and these certain people would be put in mental hospitals or uh, given uh, prescriptions of medication. Now it's celebrated. It's like, this is insanity. What's that old saying? Once you go woke, you go broke. Oh, never has that been more true than today. But if you're going to want to leave anything in your children, if you're going to want to leave real manhood in children, you're going to have to fight for it. 
You're going to have to fight and stand up for it. We need to stand for what is important. And it starts in the home. And the attack is actually on your home. It's not in fissy cups. There's no one breaking down your door. It's the silent, slowly moving, what do, you, what do I want to call it, current that is breaking down what a man is, breaking down what a father should be. And it's got to stop. And where it stops is here. Yeah. We can give you the connection to it. Yeah, it's all on Spotify. But it's got to stop here and now. And it starts when we decide to stand up and say, I am a man, I choose to be in my home, I choose to be a father, and I choose to be an example for anyone who is around me who needs to be or have an example. Like our kids, right? Not my kids, our kids. They need to see what a man is. Now, I can't do everything, and I know you can't do everything, but together we can actually do something. We can stand and be an example. We can show them how to serve. We can show them the value of the Word of God. We can show them the value of the church. I want our kids, our kids, that no matter where they go in life, they will always, always know that when life gets difficult, they always have someone to go to. And I'll put my hand up. You knock on my door 20, 30 years ago, 20, 30 years down the track, and I'll still answer it. It may not be the same door, but... And that's what it should be. Back in the days, we had these, you know, I don't even know, you can't even do it anymore, the little um, safe houses. Remember the safety houses with your little yellow blocks? What are they called? No, not Neighbourhood Watch. You used to be able to put a yellow plastic card on your letterbox that had a little black house that said, this is a safe house. And if any child was in danger, they could go to that house. Now, of course, you, know, you have to be concerned that you're going into something that it's a whole different ball game. But any time your kids, any of them, need my help, I'll be there. Even if it's a good kick up the backside. But the enemy is attacking our homes. It's attacking our families. And we need to stand up and fight. The enemy despises you. Do you know that? He despises you. And the reason why he despises you is because God loves you. God loves you with a love that is hard to comprehend. But the enemy despises you. He hates you because he hates what God loves. So he will come at you with everything he can. Now the enemy can't touch you physically. But he can distract you with everything that is not important. He can distract you with all different things. There's times when I have to remind myself to get off the phone. Right? I've taken a whole bunch of stuff off my phone so I'm not distracted so much. There's times I have to stop doing certain things and remember, oh, I have kids. I'm here. I pick them up from school. We go to different events. We celebrate our kids. We share in the stories. They can tell us anything. The other day we, we had conversations that were extremely awkward, but they were important. And it's too easy to become distracted with what isn't important. It's too easy to get sidetracked and go down different ways. It's too easy to fulfill our own insecurities with things that take us away from what is actually important. 
And it's too easy to give in. It's too easy to say, oh yeah, whatever, it's not my problem. It's too easy to do what Hezekiah did and says, as long as it doesn't happen in my time frame. But we need men to stand. We need men to go, hey, I'm going to be a man and I'm going to show my son and my daughter or my future son-in-law, if you want to think like that, what a man is. I know my daughter's going to get married one day. I know she's going to bring some guy home. And if he's not up, no, anyway, we won't go that way. But I know that he's going to be my son-in-law and that I'm going to have to instill in what a man is. It doesn't matter where his background is. Maybe he needs a good knock around the ears. But he needs to understand whoever that person is, what a man is. What is okay and what is not okay. It's not okay to do certain things. It's paramount that we actually do certain things. When God told Nehemiah to return to Israel to build the walls of, uh, of Israel, the cities, the walls were lying in ruin. This is when Babylon came in and they ruined the whole city. Nehemiah gets the call that he can go back. But what he goes back to do is to rebuild the standard, the walls. And the enemies were coming constantly on a process of destroying the Israelites and bringing, and, uh, bringing devastation to their homes, their marriages and their families, causing fear to grow. And Nehemiah says, When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to their nobles, the officials and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your houses. The same call is to us. We have to rebuild the standard. What is acceptable? And then we have to be able to stand on that standard and not move, not waver. What is okay? What is not? What is acceptable in society? What is acceptable in this house? What is acceptable in this church? What is acceptable in our homes? Nehemiah told them to fight. He said, fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. Fight for your families. And today the enemy is still against us. He's still against our homes and our families. And they're under attack. Not from someone barging through the front door. Someone with fisticuffs. It's all like a stealth attack where we come in slowly and weave our way in, breaking down morality, values and ethics, slowly breaking down the legacy of Christ, breaking down the need for the word in the home, breaking down the concept and the principles of church in the home. And what's needed, to be honest with you, men, it starts with us. A father is someone who stands and rebuilds a wall. My wife and my kids have a security and a safety and a sense of peace in our home because they know it at, at any sort of sound, I'm up first. The other night we had somebody light off a few firecrackers. And it just, I don't know what it sounded like, but all I heard was this bang. And I was up. And I was what are you doing? I heard a bang. Oh, I did too. It's all right. I'll get up, darling. I'll solve the problem. Good luck to the person who breaks into my home. Because I'm either going in handcuffs or in a body bag. <laughs> but we need to stand up and rebuild the walls. We need to stand up because that's our important role. 
our wives and our kids, they rely on us to build a home of security and peace, knowing that we will be there. But it's not just in my fists are up. It's in the spiritual concept of understanding the word and church. It's having the word in the home. The standard which we live in cannot compromise the standard. We cannot. It's our protection. And if we're going to fight, we need to fight for our families. And we first need a battle plan. Always need a battle plan. You can't go in there half-cocked. You can't go in there without a concept of what's going to take place. And the first strategy is really simple. I don't have all these strategies down, so I have to go back. First one is clean house. Take the, heart, take the time to assess, to assess your home, the condition of it. Now, I'm not talking about the paint or the carpet or the tiles or the little things that might need to be fixed. Right? I'm talking about the spiritual condition of your home. Now, no family is perfect, but what is in your atmosphere? What, is, what are you watching? What are you allowing into your home? Right? What things, what spiritual aspects are we bringing in? What things have we allowed? Magazines, books, I don't know. You can go through a whole list. If, we're going to be ne- be, if we are going to be victorious, we need to clean out our homes, what might cause strife. When my kids are bickering, you know, that's what kids do, right? Put a stop to it. Don't let it continue. Don't let it manifest. It's spiritual. Invite the Holy Spirit into your home to reveal what needs to go and what what can stay. Anoint your house with oil. Pray over it. Bless it. Play Christian music through it. Create an atmosphere of the Spirit of God that's in your home. Take communion together in your home. Read the Bible together in your home. Pray for each other. Set a right standard in your home that is acceptable. Watch the words you speak to each other. Be mindful of what's happening with your kids, what they're going through, what they're bringing in, their friends they're bringing in. Strategy two, commit your path to God. If you want peace in your home, if you want a long-lasting marriage, If you want a generations of your family to serve the Lord, develop a legacy, commit your ways to the Lord. Bring the word and bring the house in. Don't let culture define you, influence your identity, your values or your family. Commit your ways to the Lord. Commit to reading the Bible, going to church. Decide decide that you will be a God-honoring family. Joshua 24, 15 says, But for as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's what we said in our home. We said we go to church. We said it's important. We, we teach our kids to pray. You come to our place and have dinner, and we can ask our kids to pray for dinner. They can pray for us. They can pray for any single person. They have no problems with that. Their auntie's dog was sick. They put on their hands on the dog and it was healed. It's insane, but it's just where they're at. Teach your kids the same values that you have. Instill in them. Let them watch those values be lived out. Let them watch the blessings and the favor. And the greatest thing that we have is we can go, 
look, this is our way of doing it and this is why we have certain things and we are blessed because of this and you know your friends at school, you know they don't have the same values and look what they're going through. It won't save them from difficulties but it gives them the avenues to walk through it while still having peace. Strategy three. This is a really interesting one. Live by your convictions. See, we must identify things in our lives that do not glorify God. Then we must boldly be able to remove them and stand by what we believe. If something doesn't line up with the way you believe, remove it. Remove it. We pass on the garment of faith through the lives that we live and the convictions we hold. See, it takes courageous men and women who are willing to say yes to God to make a stand. It's so easy, it's too easy. Oh, no, not today. I won't do that. And then sooner or later we start looking at the way society is and we go, I wonder how that happened. That's because a slowly progressive concept of slipping in values and morals and standard takes place. Your home can be blessed. Your home can have peace in it. Your home can have joy. Your home can have the favour of God upon it. But we must live by our convictions. Four. Fight for what's left. If you've ever suffered loss, whatever that might look like, maybe you're saying, I don't have much. God is still the God of what is left. In Amos 3.12, let me get this one up because this is a really good one. Thus saith the Lord, just as a shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of ear, so will the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria be snatched away with the corner of a bed and the cover of a couch. Now this passage might seem strange, but it's an allegory. A lion has devoured a lamb and the only thing left for the shepherd is two legs and a piece of ear. And it doesn't matter how broken the lamb is, the shepherd fought for what was left. They mattered. They had purpose and they were worth redeeming. If you're hurt or there may not be much left, fight for what is left because he fought for you. You may only be two legs or maybe an ear, and that's okay. Jesus fought for you. If all you have is an ear to hear and a leg to stand on, stand on the word. Stand with his church. Receive what's given. Receive Jesus and live. Set a legacy worth fighting for. Set a legacy that's worth standing for. Don't be subject to what is taking place within this world and think it's okay because it doesn't directly affect me. Guess what? It does. It's all around us. This acceptable rubbish is getting too much. Now, we may not be able to change the world, but we can change the world that we live in. We can change by standing and saying, this is what's acceptable and this is not. This is what we will stand for and this is what we will release and let go. My kids need to understand it because one day my son will be a father. 
That's a scary thought, but my son will be a father. My daughter will be a mother. And the values that I still, the standard that I stand on, they will soon accept. They will soon adapt to their lives. We have been instilling them the values, not perfect, but moving in them, teaching them and guiding them, allowing them to grow and develop and make mistakes and then bringing them back to that point and say, this is the standard. If you don't like the standard, there's the door. Go find somewhere else. It's a standard that's hard to live by, but it's a standard that's necessary. We can't let things slide because it's okay. I don't feel like it. It's not good enough. In this day and age, we need men. We need men to stand. We need men to be men. We need men to be our good, good fathers. Not perfect fathers, but we need men. We need men because we have people that are going to come in this church. We're going to have people come in this church from all different walks of life, all different ages, and they're going to need to see the example of how to be a man. And the only example that they might ever have is you and I. They need to understand what the value of the word and the value of church is. Because it's church that you come to, that you become part of a bigger picture, the small pebble connected to a larger rock that gives you strength, that gives you a support to stand through whatever else. But it's the Word of God that transforms you. And it's allowing the Holy Spirit to speak inside of us and direct us and guide us through the whole process of life that actually moves us through all the things that God has for us. It's not this overcomplicated thing. It's really, really simple. But over the, over the decades, the legacy of Christ, Word, church has been attacked been attacked the legacy of what's in your home the standard you should be living by by the word of God has been attacked it's been attacked the value of what a real man has been attacked our value and our worth within our home in our society has been attacked and we have to stand we have to stand it's not okay to sit down anymore it's not and I know there's good men in here I know there's good men. And I know there's good, capable men who are more than capable to do what's required. And I know there's men that are already doing that. And I'm not going to pinpoint anyone. But we need to be men. And this church needs to have men. Because you are the pillars. You're the ones who hold this place up. You're the one who, when things get tough, you're there. be a man we're going to pray we're going to close the meeting there's, there's like a, a lunch over there for men there's a pie and a ginger beer there's other stuff that I, there's not just pies and ginger beers I've been told right? there's other stuff for everybody else as well but men be celebrated today you are valued and you have worth regardless of what anyone says right you have value and you have worth. You have value to this house. You have value to your homes. You are valuable. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus died for you. And he died for you on that cross so that you could be in right relationship with your Heavenly Father. Because we were unable to do it on our own. Not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. It's His Spirit that leads us to the cross and it's Jesus who takes us to the Father. Let's pray. Father, I lift up every person here. Father, I speak.
that we would all stand on a standard. That we would all build our houses. We would all build our homes. We would all build the walls. That we would build upon the legacy left with us, in us, by Christ, of the Word and His church. That, Father, you would plan in us strength and courage to, to move through and to stand against everything that might come against us. Father, I speak upon each person a blessing and a favor and anointing and your hand upon us. Guide us and direct us this week. Help us to understand the importance of your word and the importance of your church. Bless us. Bless every man at home as they celebrate Father's Day. Bless every father. Bless every husband. Guide them and direct them. Bless those. Speak health and life upon those who are unwell. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.